Welcome to the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast, where we talk to influential women about their experiences in research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and mentorship in the aquaculture industry. My name is Miriam Farag, and I'm the editor of Aquaculture North America. I sat down with Emily D'Souza, who I would describe as a young leader in the seafood industry, changing the way people think about global food systems and spreading the message that the future of food is blue. I'd like to thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Now, please enjoy the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast with Emily D'Souza. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Women in North American Aquaculture podcast. Today, I'm finally having my long-awaited conversation with Emily D'Souza. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited that we're doing this. I know it's been a long time in the making, but I'm glad I, uh, I'm i finally settled down in one place long enough to do it. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And that's very cool that you get to travel a lot. We'll get into that. Mm-hmm. But first off, I would like you to introduce yourself a little bit for, the, for our audience who don't know you. Uh, tell us about yourself and your background. Yeah, so uh, my name is Emily. I'm a, a trained fishery scientist. I went to the University of Guelph uh, for my undergrad and my master's degree. Um, I currently run a business called uh, Seaside with Emily, uh, Seaside Strategy. So I have um, an influencer brand that I go by as Seaside with Emily online, where I educate consumers about sustainable seafood. And then I also have a, a digital marketing and PR agency uh, called Seaside Strategy, where we actually work with companies in the seafood industry to help them better tell their stories online as well. Um, both of those kind of under the whole mission and ethos to educate people about seafood and get people more excited about seafood and specifically sustainable seafood. That is amazing. How many arms do you have? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? They keep they keep growing and uh, I keep taking on more and more, but I just, I don't know. I love this space so much that it's hard. It's hard not to when like what you do every day doesn't necessarily feel like work. It's obviously hard and the days are long but when you love what you're doing it's it's very easy to continue to like pick up different endeavors that's great i i um i really admire that that you love what you're doing but i hope you have some sort of assistant (laughs) (laughs) yes definitely the team the team has definitely been growing (laughs) that's amazing all right so um you are a fisheries scientist according to your linkedin if i'm not Mm -hmm. wrong uh what did you study in your undergrad and master's? So I went to the University of Guelph and my undergrad um, was actually in a program called environmental governance. So it's a program where environmental science, policy and economics all intersect. And then from there, I went on to do a master's degree where my research was primarily focused on small scale fisheries in North America, mostly looking into supply chains and policy And a lot of my work also um, ran into the timing of the COVID pandemic. So I published a lot of papers regarding shocks to supply chains and looking at how um, things like a global pandemic, wars, recession, et cetera, how those sort of supply chain shocks um, affect the seafood industry and what the seafood industry can do to be more resilient to those shocks in the future. So you said you studied your undergrad in environmental science. 
but how did that like how did you transition to uh fisheries in your uh, master's degree because it can be anything right yeah so i i mean i always had this tie to the ocean um i've always loved the ocean i even when i was in my undergrad doing environmental governance and policy like i always focused on topics related to uh like marine policy and and conservation and ocean spaces and I, yeah, I'm a, like, I'm a scuba diver. I'm a dive master. My family's from the Azores Islands off the coast of Portugal. So I've always been like this little ocean baby. Um, and so, yeah, I've always had this tie to the ocean. But what really I kind of think solidified the seafood focus for me was um, because I was so tied to the ocean in my undergrad, I did a lot of volunteering with various marine conservation organizations, just trying to get more involved in the ocean space. And I really noticed this narrative amongst these groups that if you wanted to protect the oceans, you couldn't eat seafood. Um, and I actually, you know, had some very heated debates with people about this and ultimately decided that, you know, I needed to leave several of these organizations because I didn't align with that way of thinking. Um, and that's ultimately what led me to pursue grad school was, you know, I felt in my heart and I knew it in my mind, like, there is a way to eat seafood sustainably. I, like I said, my family comes from an island nation. I have seen the fishermen who work in the Azores Islands. Uh, they're very remote and isolated islands. So the people there are very good stewards of their resources. And I would argue the fishermen there are some of the, the greatest stewards of the ocean. And so to hear people say that you can't eat seafood if you want to protect the ocean sounded absurd to me, especially given how vital seafood is as a Portuguese person and as an Azorean person. In our culture, a lot of our traditions and our religious holidays center around eating seafood. And so I always say, like, I've been eating seafood my entire life. I knew how to peel shrimp before I could walk. And so I really um, I felt all these things in my heart, but I really wanted to get the science and the data to back that up. And so that's kind of ultimately what led me to pursue grad school was I wanted to investigate the role of seafood in global food security and looking at, OK, we are about to be 9 billion people. Our food systems as they currently are, are clearly causing some sort of environmental damage. There's a lot of equity issues. You know, they're not they're not perfect. So how can we make this food system better? And I was truly of the mind that seafood had a very big role to play in that. And I also, the University of Guelph is called Canada's Food University. They have a $100 million research institute dedicated to studying um, and supporting research on sustainable food systems. And not a single person was studying seafood. And I don't know that anybody has also studied oh seafood there since I left. So I, I just thought it was a massive oversight that we had this entire university and this entire research institute dedicated to studying food systems and talking about food policy but seafood was being left out of this conversation. And I found that to be a very common thread. Um, and a lot of the work that I did with people working in food systems was that like seafood was constantly being overlooked. And so I really wanted to bring seafood into those discussions about food and food policy. That is very interesting that you say that, especially like when you said you uh, were very, you had like you liked this, the ocean and you had Thai connections mm -hmm. to the ocean. I'm like, you live in Guelph, Ontario. How is that possible? Yeah. <laughs> and it's very cool that about the, you, you said the uh, grant from University of Guelph uh, for studying food. And you're the only one who chose seafood. That is, that is mind blowing, actually. 
Yes, it's quite shocking. And uh, like I said, I found it to be a very common theme, unfortunately, in a lot of the work that I did in food systems, just seafood was constantly being left out of the discussion. So I kind of took it on as my role to make sure that seafood had a seat at the table. So let's get into my favorite part. Tell me more about Seaside with Emily, your content creation brand or social media brand. Seaside with Emily um, initially actually started out as something entirely different. When I was in my undergrad, I had a travel and food blog on the side and it was like a side hustle while I was in my undergrad. I knew that I wanted to travel and I knew that I love food, but I didn't really know like how to make that work with all the other pieces in my life. Kind of fast forward to the end of my undergrad when I was realizing these narratives in the marine conservation organizations about seafood, I was also feeling a bit unfulfilled with what I was doing with that blog. I wanted it to be more meaningful and more impactful. And I was having that realization alongside this realization that people really don't think you can eat seafood sustainably. And as I was about to start grad school and telling people about what I would be studying and my research, I was just hearing a lot of people would just say things to me about seafood that are totally untrue or outdated. Like I would hear things like, oh, I don't eat seafood because it has too much mercury or I don't eat any farm seafood because it's bad for the environment. Just a lot of these like outdated or completely untrue things. And it made me realize like people really don't know anything about seafood. And so I don't know, all of those things kind of came together and fell into place. And I realized, you know, I have this platform. I had already grown a social media audience of several thousand people. I had a website, I had an email list, like I had this established base. And I thought, what if I converted this whole travel and food space into a platform dedicated to educating people about seafood? And so I did that um, right before the pandemic, which I think was a bit of divine timing. Because at that time, of course, as you know, people were eating seafood uh, at home in higher numbers than they ever have. They were more aware of where their food was coming from due to supply chain shock. So it was kind of a perfect storm timing wise, I guess. I overhauled everything. I was very nervous. People weren't sure if if there was going to be enough of a market, if it was too niche to be talking about sustainable seafood online. But what I found was that there is an appetite for this content. Consumers want to know more about where their food is coming from and specifically where their seafood is coming from. I think today, now more than ever, people are aware of, you know, the environmental impacts of their food choices, the nutritional and health impacts of their food choices. And they they are, you know, somewhat aware that seafood is a good option, but aren't entirely aware. And so that's really where Seaside with Emily comes in. We, we really aim to bring a level of transparency to the seafood industry that hasn't yet existed. And I think that's really where I see my driving, my driving force and like my sort of North Star is really disrupting the industry as it has been and, and making kind of forcing people to, to, to aspire to this level of transparency that consumers are demanding and haven't previously been granted. And so we do all sorts of seafood content online, including the behind the scenes content where we're on farms, we're on boats, and we want to show people literally everything about where their seafood comes from. And like I said, people have, have an interest, they have an appetite, they're curious, and they have really been enjoying the content that, that we've been producing, which is really, really great to see. That is amazing. You said you started in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. So it's been four years, I believe. Yeah, the the travel and food blog dates back to 2015, so that one's really old. <laughs> but okay. yeah, 2020 when we overhauled 
everything in the actual seaside with Emily as it is today was born. So it's really a new, um, I know I never know how to answer the question when people are like, how long have you been doing this? I'm like, well, doing what exactly? <laughs> you know, we've been doing the influencer and blogging thing for almost 10 years now. But when yes. we talk about it in the seafood industry, yeah, it's really been about three or four years. Yes, that makes sense. It takes like you, it's it's steps, right? It's not like I start today and that's like I start my channel today and that's it. No, it like it it takes a lot of uh building to do, right? So exactly. I understand that. But I want to get an insight into a social social media influencer's day-to-day life. So how does that look like to you? Like do you have work hours? Do you just like work like any time of the day how often do you travel that kind of thing yeah my day-to-day varies depending on like where I am in the world honestly that's the biggest factor and honestly now that I'm home for a little bit establishing some sort of routine has kind of been my main focus um because I love the travel aspect of my job of course but it can be very disorienting when you're trying to run a business and then be on site and you're trying to manage everything all at once. So my day-to-day totally varies. Um, I travel probably 200 days out of the year, maybe a little bit less. Wow. Um, yeah. So I'm on the, I was, I've been on the road pretty much nonstop from February until up until a week ago, <laughs> um, traveling all over again, onto different like fish farms onto different fishing boats um out to different operations trying to learn myself and also bring that content to people so when I'm traveling my day-to-day looks insane um (laughs) they can look (laughs) totally different um I was just in in Central America with a client where you know we were pulling like 12-hour days we were up at you know 4 a.m and we were heading out to hatcheries and doing hatchery tours and then after the hatchery, we were heading offshore to see some fish farms. And then after that, you know, we were doing um, like some chef dinners with the products and engaging and networking with the communities. And then, you know, after that full day, my role, of course, is documenting throughout that full day, filming everything, making sure that we're getting the content, that we're getting the interviews, that we're getting the shots that we need. And then sort of at the end of the night is basically offloading all of that content, you know, sitting in a hotel room, offloading everything, editing anything, responding to any like PR requests, anything like that, and then basically getting up and doing that all over again. So that's kind of like the fast paced side of it. But Mm -hmm. when I'm actually home, home and have a bit of a routine, um, like I said, a routine is really important for me. And I like to spend um, a lot of my time sort of at home when I'm home. (laughs) I'm very much (laughs) as much as I travel. I'm like a homebody. You still live in Guelph. Right. Um, I actually live in uh, Niagara on the Lake now. Oh, nice. Yeah. So by yeah. the water, that's great. <laughs> exactly. So we're by a body of water. So I mean, it yeah. is beautiful. It's nice to get out, but uh, it's nice to have a bit more of a routine when I'm home, where I can sit down and I can actually do a lot more writing, a lot more like business back end stuff, um, a lot more like regular scheduled meetings. I try to like, I'm very much a an all or nothing type of person like Uh, I know a lot of people love like the Pomodoro methods for example like for me I cannot do that like I'm like somebody who needs to sit down and work on one single thing for like four hours straight um so I like to like block out my weeks like that so I have like two days per week that I allocate for meetings it's like Tuesdays and Thursdays is when I would do all of my meetings um and then Monday Wednesday Friday those days would be dedicated to like specific projects so like Mondays is usually when I do all of my like 
the mornings is like all of my internal team meetings, meeting with my team, making sure that everything's good on our end, preparing for the week. And then the whole afternoon would be dedicated to like business backend tasks, like any project management, any, any follow-ups, like writing any proposals, anything like that. And then Wednesdays and Fridays would be like my deep work and like creative days. So those are the days that I would literally, like I said, sit down at my computer for four hours straight and just write. Um, a lot of it is like writing blog posts, writing newsletters, writing scripts. And then, you know, like maybe Friday is like a filming day. So we shoot with a production team and we're usually like um, in some sort of studio space for eight hours. And so Friday we'll get up and we'll just shoot content for like a month all in one day. Um, oh, but wow. I really try to like break it up by days like that to keep keep myself sane. <laughs> so you like the videos you post on Instagram and TikTok are most of them are just filmed in one day but you post them over like months is that yeah correct? a lot of them are especially I mean some, you could definitely tell if you were to look at my content like which ones I filmed like some of them are very much quick me sitting in my office filming on selfie mode uh very quickly okay. but a lot of the ones that are you could tell the their higher production value if they're like yes. there's cooking videos like the cooking videos especially are really key for me to have a second shooter so that I can actually like cook and not have to worry about if I'm in frame and whatnot and so yeah we we shoot with a team a really great team that I love working with and we'll film yeah a month's worth of content and then I'll just kind of like drip it out as necessary and that's also like kind of batch create like I call it like batch creating content um that's also mm -hmm. necessary just for the nature of my business because as I said I've been traveling kind of non-stop from February to June and so if I have to film something for like a client or a brand where I require a kitchen um, or I require like their products, it is pretty much impossible to do it if I'm like, you know, in the middle of like the Costa Rican jungle or something. So I need to like plan to film those things ahead of time before I travel and then just basically hang on to them and post them as necessary. That is very interesting that you say that because, and I've been guilty, I've been guilty of doing that where like, I'll be like, oh, social media influencers, they're like this easy, they make money out of nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes I'll get those moments. I should, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I'll wake up and be like, oh, I don't want to work a nine to five. I want to be a social media influencer, <laughs> a traveler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's actually, like, if you don't mind me saying, that's crazy. Like the lifestyle you have, it's not easy. Uh, it takes a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of passion. It's very, very interesting. Do you think what you're doing is hard? Like, for example, can someone just wake up and be like, okay, I want to be a social media influencer or like a content creator? Or do people need to have certain qualities to be able to do that? I mean, I think that anybody can definitely do it. Um, I don't think that anybody can be successful doing it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's where the big misperception is. And yes, that is very true. Yeah, and I mean, I see it all the time. People think, and I try to get away from the word influencer, to be honest, because it has such that negative connotation. Uh, but people think that they think it's just like somebody uh, pulling out an iPhone, filming something and then posting it. And then, oh, my goodness, they're, you know, making millions of dollars. And that's not the case at all. There's a lot of like I said, I have a whole day per week dedicated to like managing the business back end. And a lot of that is like emailing brands, like going back and forth over like logistics and details and strategy. and when it comes to actually creating content, like very rarely do I just get up and like start filming something randomly. Um, it's all very strategic. It requires a lot of prep. 
Um, mm-hmm. It requires a lot of, especially like, like seafood, for example, like my day starts every morning. I'm reading various like industry websites and news and even like any mainstream news that's being talked about about seafood because I want to keep my finger on the pulse and know what's happening in the industry because if something is super relevant, I need to plan to film a video for it. And again, plan being the key word. So we we research trends, we research what our audience is asking for. We do tons of consumer research. Um, and then from there, we build out a strategy. And so we decide, okay, you know, here are the videos or here are the topics that we want to address in our next batches of content. And then a lot, a lot of the times, again, due to the nature of the types of videos that we're filming, they require research. So we'll have to, you know, dig into sustainability reports and mm-hmm. dig into academic articles and actually read all of those and pull out the data and the figures and the stats. And then we'll have to draft scripts. Um, so what I'm actually going to say on camera and write all that out, we'll have to plan like a shot list. Okay, what props do we need? Like, are we going to film all this on an iPhone? Are we going to bring in a camera? Like, where are we filming? What type of lighting are we going to need? Um, and then we actually film it. And then from there, we still have to edit uh, which is another time-consuming piece. And then, of course, writing all of the captions and then actually posting it and then engaging with it. So it really is a it's a multi-step process. And that's why I say anybody could do it um, because anybody can just pick up an iPhone and film. But to be successful, uh, it does require a level of, I think, a very high level of intention and thoughtfulness Um to be, yeah, to, to, to also build a brand. I mean, the influencers who are successful online are not just anybody. Uh, they've, they've been successful because they've been able to build a brand around what they do, build a certain level of credibility and authority and community, I think is also a big aspect of it. Um, you know, some of the influencers that I watch um, in various different industries, like I, you end up watching somebody online simply because you like them, like you like their personality, like there's somebody you want to hang out with. And yeah, like maybe people started following me because of my seafood content. And I'm sure that's why a lot of them still follow me. But the reality is the reason that people start following you is not the reason that they stick around. People stick around because they feel like, you know, your friends now, like they feel like they're part of your life. I get a lot more like lifestyle related questions now or people wanting to like have greater insight, like even these types of questions, like what does your day to day look like kind of thing. Um, And so it's really about like being able to facilitate that connection and level of community. I think that's a big defining factor of what makes an influencer successful. Yes, that's very true. And I think the human connection is also very important. I was watching your videos and like your cooking videos and I felt so bad about my kitchen. I was like, oh, I should I should get my kitchen together. <laughs> and then when you said you filmed at a studio, I was like, I felt a little bit better. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I wanted to ask you about this uh, since you were talking about how how much you travel and how little you get to be at home. Not little, like how much you travel and how much you spend uh, time on your channel so like what does like your work-life balance look like I think this is the million dollar question that honestly I'm still (laughs) trying to figure out Um, that's okay like we're all struggling with this right we try our best at the end of the day Uh, yeah your um, circumstances and how much you uh, get to travel or film and what do you aspire that to look like for example yeah it's it's definitely been a Struggle is too strong of a word, I think, for how I would describe it. But it's been um, 
a process of trial and error trying to strike that perfect balance because I'm trying to find the balance between I want to say you know it's hard you want to say yes to everything to be on every farm and every like fishing vessel and you want to really take every opportunity to maximize your impact um and I think also a lot of this stems just from the influencer creator economy like this you know feeling like you have to constantly be producing but then on the other side of it, it's a lot. I mean, travel in itself, I love travel and it's a huge part of my life personally and professionally and my my whole identity, I think. But it can be exhausting at times um, to be on the road all the time. And, you know, I have, you know, I have a, a life and I have a partner and we live together and I have friends here. And so that part of it is really challenging as well. Like, um, getting a bit homesick. And obviously, again, I love what I do. And so it's very easy for me to say yes to everything and want to be on the road nonstop. But then there is a part of me where it's like, I also love to host, like I love to have dinner parties, I love to have my friends over, like I love to like, just have, like I said, be a homebody with my boyfriend and just like slug on the couch and watch Star Wars all weekend. <laughs> so like, it's, how do you like, strike a balance between those? And it's definitely something I'm still trying to figure out. I think for me, um, I'm trying to set some hard boundaries specifically around travel. Well, like I usually cut off travel about um, mid-November so that I can be home for the holidays. Um, so I don't like to travel basically from mid-November till mid-January. So I take those months off of travel to be home. Um, and then even right now, I'm in the middle of a travel break as well, just because, like I said, I've been pretty much nonstop from February until now. And it was incredible and amazing. And I loved it. Um, but it was just it was really difficult to be away for that long. And like I said, pulling 12 hour days uh, for four months straight <laughs> is a lot. So I'm also on a break right now and trying to just get caught up on a lot of like things that I just simply can't do on the road. So I don't know that I have a very clear answer. I think one of the biggest things for me is just um, especially when I'm on the road is trying to maintain some sort of semblance of routine. Um, so like the things that I would normally do when I'm at home. So like I wake up, you know, early and I, you know, I do like journaling work and, and, you know, have like coaching calls and getting in just like a good mindset for the day and then getting a workout in every day. Like just those like kind of critical pieces of my routine that I know make me feel good um, professionally and just as a person. Um, trying to maintain those habits when I'm on the road, I feel like is is super important. Yeah, but I don't know that I've quite cracked the code of work-life balance yet. <laughs> it's a topic of conversation and it'll always be one of those things where you're where you'll try your best. You're you're never gonna perfect it, but you're always gonna be trying your best. But it um but it's interesting that uh you say that. Like I, I love how you are honest about this. So we're trying to really paint the real picture of what a content creator's life looks like and i think you you touched on all the very important points so thank you for that so i know you're an, you're an entrepreneur and you're basically self-employed right but uh, do you still have any mentors that you look out for for guidance or advice yeah absolutely i think um i mean this has been something that's been really important for i, I would argue more important for me as an entrepreneur just because I I actually didn't realize how important it was until I fully left academia, if I'm being honest, because, mm. you know, being in academia and especially being in grad school, right? Like you have advisors. I, ha I worked with two advisors who like I was constantly getting feedback. And so things that even I thought were like really well written and like really great and I was really proud of, like there was always room for improvement. And as an entrepreneur, like I don't I don't have that like that that 
feedback outlet all the time. Um, and I, I didn't realize how important it was again until I, until I left academia. And I was like, wait, I don't actually know if like what I'm doing is good. Or like when I was having a, you know, sometimes as a business owner, you need to make big decisions. And I was like, I don't have anybody to bounce this, this off of. Like, obviously, you know, you have friends and family, but like, you know, having that like industry knowledge or like somebody who comes from the same professional sphere to kind of be able to bounce ideas off of is really, um, is really helpful. And so um, I sought out mentors pretty, pretty early in this journey. And I definitely think there are, there are several people both within the seafood industry and then across other industries. Like I said, like I work with performance coaches um, because I, I really value that level of like accountability to just improving my overall like mindset and well-being. And so I, I really value that. And then I value also having people in the seafood industry who I totally recognize know way more than I do. Um <laughs> I mean, I, you know, yes, I have a degree and I've been doing this for several years, but there are people who have been in this industry for decades who know much more than me. And um, I'm always eager to learn from them. And so I feel like I've been really fortunate to have some really great mentors in this space, um, particularly, I will say, in the aquaculture space, because my background is from wild fisheries. And so that was the area that I felt most comfortable in. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to gravitate more into doing more work in aquaculture and working with more fish farms and various like companies and organizations in the aquaculture industry, um, it was very overwhelming for me <laughs> because it was still totally new. I didn't have that, you know, three, four years of academic training in that space. And so I really found some fantastic mentors in the aquaculture industry who've been able to, um, yeah, just just be there to even just bounce ideas off of. Also, um, just put me in front of the right people. Um, I think networking, like the value of networking, I have to say that's probably been the the most eye-opening thing that I've learned, like just as a as a professional um like I, I don't know I, I know when I always grew up and I would hear people say like it's not what you know it's who you know I always saw that as like a negative thing um but what I realize now that I'm older and now I see how networking works I realize like that really is the key um and of course you know you still need to have what you know you still need to have the skills and the talent and the knowledge and bring something uh, to the table, but really those connections are invaluable. And so having mentors that have been able to help me facilitate some of those uh, connections has been really, really pivotal uh, for for my growth and something I've always been grateful for. Very true. Um, I used to think the same way with you as well, like about have, like connections and, and it's about who you know, not what you know, mm -hmm. but you know, you get older and you realize, oh yes, networking is very important. So is it like more of a task to you, like networking, or does it come naturally now that you just go to places and networking is just in your blood? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely, I mean, I've always been a people person and I love to socialize. So I feel like it's definitely something that's come naturally to me. And it, it really, I would say it's a, it's a big part of what I do. Uh, it's a, and yeah, it just kind of weaves itself very naturally into things like, yeah, when I'm out on farms when I'm out on different experiences when even when we're invited to like various dinners and events um it's just kind of interwoven almost into everyday life and so I yeah I'm not so like I I feel like networking is very natural to me 
And I don't see it as having like that negative connotation that I once did when I was younger. I, I see it as something really valuable. Um, and I find actually like when I'm networking and meeting people, um, more often than not, like I'm actually trying to find ways to facilitate connections amongst other people in my network. So I'm not even always like networking with people for my own business to try to, you know, see if they want to work with me or work with my brands. I'm actually like listening to what they're saying and saying, oh, wait, actually, like I know somebody that you should meet who's working on this. That would be really cool. Yeah. And so I find like 90% of the networking that I do is actually just helping to build uh more connections within my own network, which I find also just really fulfilling and exciting when I'm able to help facilitate those connections. Because again, I think back to some of the mentors who have facilitated connections for me um, and how grateful I was to be introduced to, you know, certain people. And so whenever I'm able to like leverage my own network to do that, I just feel really, uh, really like, I don't know, it's like kind of like you're like paying it forward in a way kind of thing. On your channels, what is one of the most comments or questions you get on your videos um I would say there's a yeah there's a couple like pretty common ones that circulate often um I get asked about mercury a lot still oh, wow. uh, just, <laughs> yeah it, it surprises me a bit too but I think also um like it's funny that you have that that reaction because I feel like I I do as well and every time I do it like brings me back to like what like again just reminds me that people are really starting their seafood knowledge from a whole they're at a whole different starting line than I am um mm -hmm. and it's something that like once you've been in it for so long it's very easy to forget that like that average consumer doesn't know as much as you do they haven't been on fish farms for the last three years like they actually don't know um and so it helps to just to bring it back and to remind me like sometimes if I'm straying too far away from what I think are like quote unquote obvious like obvious answers like they're actually not obvious to some people um so mercury is a big one I get asked a lot about like the color of farm salmon uh I mm -hmm. think that one I feel like has just gotten really popular on social media yeah for some reason but so I would you pinned say it to your uh I saw it, like you pinned it to your profile yeah I yeah exactly because that's exactly it because I get asked about it so often that I was just like I'm just gonna pin this up here so it's like mm -hmm. easy to find and and people can access it because yeah I've noticed there's a lot of like other creators and other industries um making videos just like talking about you know all the the things the, the silly things that we hear about the color of farm salmon and I get I probably get sent at least like two or three per week people just being like have wow. you seen this have you seen this and Obviously, I don't have the time to respond to every single video. So that's why I pinned that one video to be like, this is the response. It can pretty much stand up against all of all of the other videos that I'm seeing about the color of farm salmon. That is interesting. And how do you handle any criticism that you get? I would say it's actually been pretty interesting. Um, when I first started talking about aquaculture, I got a lot right off the bat because, again, um, I'd only been really talking about wild fisheries up to that point and by no particular like intention again it was just where I was comfortable and what my background was in um so when I started out I wasn't talking about aquaculture and once I, once I started venturing into that space more and more I was definitely met with a lot of criticisms I would say now though it's been really interesting the last like 12 to 18 months I find my comment section is much different than what it was like a year or two years ago um, before it was very vicious it was very aggressive and now I feel like a lot of the comments are 
are much more constructive. Like I'm actually seeing more comments from people who are asking genuine questions and want to engage and are curious um, and are and sometimes are being critical, but not in like a, not an aggressive way, like just, you know, they're, they're actually interested in learning and having a conversation. Whereas before I would definitely get a lot of like just unfounded criticisms. And I mean, to a certain extent, I'm happy to engage with people. I want to, I mean, like I said, my, my really, my North star is transparency. And so I always want to be transparent with people, even if they disagree with me. And so I do always try to facilitate a conversation. If I feel that there is a conversation that can be facilitated, um, when it comes to like crazy, like aggressive or inappropriate comments, like those, I just don't bother engaging with. Um, I've been very liberal with the block button when people have, you know, come out and said, uh, some just really nasty things. And I mm -hmm. think that's totally like within my, within my right as a, an influencer and just as a person to like, not have to read those things. Um, but yeah, where, wherever people are, wherever I see that people are maybe, disagreeing with me but there's a conversation to be facilitated like I'm always happy to have a conversation with somebody who I don't see eye to eye with I think I think frankly everybody should be I think that's how we learn and how we grow as humans um and so it's something that I've always made a conscious effort to try to engage with people who might not necessarily agree with me and that's the whole point right to have people exactly. to raise awareness right so exactly yeah. are you seeing any shift in these negative uh, comments or the criticism are they turning into positive ones like what's the rate on negative and positive comments or questions I think at this point they are getting more positive and again I don't so part of me is not sure if I've just like weeded out all the people who are really negative again because like I said I do block people who are particularly nasty and aggressive and so I know like I'm not seeing those comments anymore um, and also at this point I think like if people really disagreed with me and we had that conversation and they still disagreed with me, like there's maybe a chance that they've unfollowed me at this point. So part of me is wondering if, you know, in the last year, year and a half, I've just weeded out a lot of those people who would leave negative comments um, and just haven't stuck around because they don't want to see my content. They don't agree with it. And that's fine because I mean, my follower count hasn't dropped. It's just continued to grow, which tells me that there are still new people who are interested in, and there are still people coming into this conversation and so the comments that I see now, I would say are much more, like I said, are much more positive than what they were a year or two ago. Um, and there's much more like productive conversation and dialogue being had in the comments now. Well, there's this typical interview question of like, where do you see yourself in five years? Right. But I'm, I'm just I don't like that question very much. <laughs> so I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. So what are your future goals and aspirations in your career? Yeah, I think I I want to see the Seaside with Emily influencer brand continue to grow. I mean, we have, I think, like, uh, I don't even know, I think 30,000 or 40,000 followers like across all of our platforms right now, which is which is good. Um, but, you know, we're definitely not at a at a super like macro influencer level just yet. And I would definitely like to see us grow a bit more. Uh, to get more of these seafood conversations into more like mainstream media and to just get them happening more often. Um, I would also like to just continue to grow some of my other, like the other arms of my businesses that we were talking about, uh, the various other like agency endeavors and consulting work that I do and a lot of the other creative work. Um, I want to venture into some other like creative mediums um, other than social media, because I think there's a lot of 
I don't know, people communicate in a lot of different ways. And I would like to explore some of these other types of ways that we can communicate seafood with consumers um, and yeah, and get them as excited about seafood as I am. And um, I also want to start doing a lot more in-person things. That's something that I've been working on this year as well. It's doing more in-person work and activations like events and whatnot, because at the end of the day, um, I mean, seafood is food, right? To truly experience it, you need to eat it. And it's one thing to to watch me talk about the sustainability of it or even to watch me cook it. Um, but when you're actually like, I mean, the best way to to sell seafood or to get people to fall in love with seafood is just to put it in their mouths. Right. And so I'm trying to do a lot more of that work and hope that I can continue to expand that um, in the future as well. And speaking of the future, what are some of the emerging trends that we can expect to see in seafood in the near future? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're seeing something that I mean, so a lot of the work that I use with millennials and Gen Z, and so I'm really tapped into like what the younger generation of seafood consumer is looking for. And I, I know that people think it's like silly or juvenile, but branding and like packaging is so crucial for this demographic and an area in which my in my opinion, the seafood industry has done a pretty horrific job at um, like I have not seen many particularly exciting like seafood packages in grocery stores. And I think I'm starting to see brand seafood brands like record or seafood companies rather recognize the importance of branding and having that cute packaging. And the reality is, is younger generations like packaging is huge. Um, it's something that like, I mean, even I look for. And when I see some of the packaging in the seafood industry, it hurts my soul a little bit. Um, <laughs> so I think that's definitely something that I think uh, the industry should have have its eye on. And like I said, I have seen some companies who are coming out with some pretty cool packaging that I think is definitely like Gen Z um, millennial friendly. And is it, I don't know, it excites me because I think, again, it's just, it's one step closer to like making seafood sexy and making it approachable to the average person. Having that like nice packaging and that nice brand awareness, I think is a, is a really big key. I agree with you. Like, I don't think that's silly. It's definitely a big thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you have any particular upcoming projects that you're excited about? Yeah, I do, actually. I have. Uh, so like I said, I'm, I'm staying put for a little bit. Um, so I don't have any upcoming travel, but I'm using this time at home to work on some projects behind the scenes that I'm really excited about um, that I don't want to give too much away. Um, but definitely some exciting projects will be coming from from my end in uh, in August and September. And then uh, I have some upcoming travel happening uh, later in the year as well, going to see some fish farms um, in the U.S. and in Greece um and i'm really i'm really excited for those as well to see those operations it's something i've been planning for for several months now and so i'm really excited to just i don't know anytime i can see a new operation i feel like it's really exciting for me i always learn something no two operations are the same even from like same species to you know same species they're all different and so i'm really excited to do that and the farms that i'm going to see in the us and in greece are all different types of farms and different types of species that I've never covered before. And so I'm really excited to bring my audience behind the scenes of those. Um, I find that, like I said, they're really curious and really excited whenever they can see the like behind the scenes of like, oh, this is where my seafood comes from. And so I'm excited to bring them like a new and innovative way of, of farming um, and different species as well. All right, Emily, I have some last fire questions for you. What is the best advice you ever received? 
The best advice I have ever received is that in my performance coaching uh, work that I do, there's a common phrase that we say that's um, amateurs compete and pros create. And I feel like that has been particularly recently a really pivotal piece of advice for me to remember. Um, Again, especially in the influencer content creator space, it's so easy to compare yourselves you compare yourself to other creators, how much they're producing, what type of editing they're doing, what type of videos they're doing. And I've definitely sometimes fallen into that trap. And so I, I, yeah, I think some of the best advice that I've received is just, you know, focus on you, like keep, stay, basically stay in your lane, focus on your craft and creating what you're good at and just like ignore the noise. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. What advice would you give to your younger self? I would tell my younger self to... And you're still pretty young. Just Yeah, <laughs> it's true. But, you know, I feel like I've definitely, you know, I feel like I've, I've done a lot of things, which has allowed me to make a lot of mistakes and learn a lot. And I think um, kind of similar to the, the best advice I was just saying, like, I would probably tell my younger self to just, like, focus on the things that I'm actually interested in and make me happy. I think... Um, especially in my undergrad a lot, I pursued a lot of projects that I thought would make me look good to other people or be impressive to other people, but weren't necessarily things that I was particularly interested in or passionate about, but I did them because I thought it would get me like notoriety or like recognition. Um, and in hindsight, I'm just like, I wasted a ton of time on, I mean, there's, there's lessons to be learned and everything. I don't know that anything was necessarily a waste, but um, I just wish that maybe I had spent that time pursuing things that actually like lit my soul on fire and weren't just things that I was doing because I wanted like recognition or approval from other people. And last but not least, what is your favorite fish pun or joke? I was going to say, honestly, like I've been thinking about this for an hour and <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm the worst. I have no, no, Emily, I know I had I, high I, hopes, you know, okay. I, I have like a really stupid one. Um, and I feel like this is from like sixth grade when I heard this, so it's like, not, it's well, not puns a, are stupid in general, right? That's the whole point yeah. of the pun. <laughs> I mean, okay. This one's bad. It's like, what do you call a fish with no eyes? I don't <laughs> like, know. That's all it is. It's just like, that's what you call a fish it's so cringy it's so bad well that's why it's funny because it's (laughs) you know i need to work on my fish puns i've heard first so you're good (laughs) all right emily it's been a pleasure talking to you uh getting an insight into a social media content creator's life very interesting very entertaining conversation and i'm pretty sure a lot of people will appreciate the picture you painted of your life and how your day-to-day looks like um like i'll watch you on instagram but now i feel like i have a better connection knowing what goes behind the scenes so that's amazing i hope you continue to do what you're doing thank you very much for sitting with me today yeah thank you so much i really appreciate the time to uh the opportunity to chat and yeah i really enjoyed our conversation so thank you so much thanks emily another episode in the books as always our show notes with links photos and more extras can be found on our website aquaculturenorthamerica.com women i want to quickly mention our virtual summit which will be taking place on september 7 of this year the women in north american aquaculture summit or winas is free and open to everyone 
We have a great schedule planned for the day, so register now on our website and check out the full event schedule as well. And please join us in thanking our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Thanks again for listening, and I hope to see you soon.